You remember that Ahab's household, his, his reign and his son's reigns after him, uh, promoted idolatrous worship in the northern kingdom of Israel. And uh, we will see the judgments of God come upon Ahab's house, his throne and his son's throne. Uh, hear the word of God. Now Ahab had 70 sons in Samaria. And so Jehu wrote letters and sent them to Samaria, to the rulers of the city, to the elders, and to the guardians of the sons of Ahab, saying, Now then, as soon as this letter comes to you, seeing your master's sons are with you, and there are with you chariots and horses and fortified cities also and weapons, Select the best and the fittest of your master's sons and set him on his father's throne and fight for your master's house. But they were exceedingly afraid and said, Behold, the two kings could not stand before him. How then can we stand? And so he who was over the palace and he who was over the city, together with the elders and the guardians, sent to Jehu, saying, we are your servants, and we will do all that you tell us. We will not make anyone king. Do whatever is good in your eyes. Then he wrote to them a second letter, saying, If you are on my side, and if you are ready to obey me, take the heads of your master's sons and come to me at Jezreel tomorrow at this time. And now the king's sons, 70 persons, were with the great men of the city who were bringing them up. And as soon as the letter came to them, they took the king's sons and slaughtered them, 70 persons, and put their heads in baskets and sent them to him in Jezreel. And when the messenger came and told him they had brought the heads of the king's sons, he said, lay them in two heaps at the entrance of the gate until morning. And then in the morning when he went out, he stood and said to all the people, You are innocent. It was I who conspired against my master and killed him. But who struck, these, who struck down all these? Now then, that there may fall to earth nothing of the word of the Lord, which the Lord spoke concerning the house of Ahab. For the Lord has done what he said by his servant Elijah. And so Jehu struck down all who remained of the house of Ahab in Jezreel, all his great men, his close friends, and his priests, until he left him nothing remaining. And then he set out and he went to Samaria on the way when he was at Beth Echid of the shepherds. And Jehu met the relatives of Ahaziah, king of Judah, and he said, who are you? And they answered, We are the relatives of Ahaziah, and we came down to visit the royal princes and the sons of the queen mother. And he said, Take them alive. And they took them alive and slaughtered them at the pit of Beth Echid, 42 persons, and he spared none of them. And when he departed from there, he met Jehonadab, the son of Rechab, coming to meet him. He greeted him and said to him, is your heart true to my heart as mine is to yours? And Jehonadab answered, It is. And Jehu said, 
If it is, give me your right your hand. And so he gave him his hand. And Jehu took him up with him into the chariot. And he said, Come with me and see my zeal for the Lord. And so he had him ride in his chariot. And when he came to Samaria, he struck down all who remained to Ahab in Samaria till he had wiped them out according to the word of the Lord that he had spoken to Elijah. When Jehu assembled all the people, he said to them, Ahab served Baal a little, but Jehu will serve him much. Now therefore call to me all the prophets of Baal, all his worshipers and all his priests, and let none be missing. For I have a great sacrifice to offer to Baal. Whoever is missing shall not live. But Jehu did it with cunning in order to destroy the worshipers of Baal. And Jehu ordered, Sanctify a solemn assembly for Baal, and so they proclaimed it. And Jehu sent through all, throughout all Israel, and all the worshipers of Baal came, so that there was not a man left who did not come. And they answered, The house of Baal and the house of, and the house of Baal was filled from one end of the, to the other. And then he said to him who was in charge of the wardrobe, Bring out the vestments for all the worshippers of Baal. So he brought out the vestments for them. And then Jehu went into the house of Baal with Jehonadab, the son of Rechab. And he said to the worshippers of Baal, Search and see that there, are, that there is no servant of the Lord here among you, but only the worshippers of Baal. And then they went in to offer sacrifices and burnt offerings. Now Jehu had stationed the 80 men outside and said, the, men who allow, the man who allows any of those whom I give into your hand to escape shall forfeit his life. So as soon as he had made an end of offering the burnt offering, Jehu said to the guard and to the officers, Go in and strike them down. Let not a man escape. When they put them to the sword, the guard and the officers cast them out and went into the inner room of the house of Baal. And they brought out the pillar that was in the house of Baal and they burned it. And they demolished the pillar of Baal and demolished the house of Baal and made it a latrine to this day. And thus Jehu wiped out Baal from Israel. But Jehu did not turn aside from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he made Israel to sin. That is the golden calves that were in Bethel and Dan. And the Lord said to Jehu, Because you have done well in carrying out what was right in my eyes, and have done to the house of Ahab according to all that was in my heart. Your sons of the fourth generation shall sit on the throne of Israel. But Jehu was not careful to walk in the law of the Lord, the God of Israel, with all his heart. He did not turn from the sins of Jeroboam, which he made Israel to sin. In those days the Lord began to cut off parts of Israel, Hazel, defeated them throughout the territory of Israel from the Jordan eastward, all the land of Gilead and the Gadites and the Reubenites and the Manassites and the Arorir, which is in the valley of Arnon, which is Gilead and Bashan. Now the rest of the acts of Jehu and all that he did and all his might, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Israel? And so Jehu slept with his fathers and they buried him in Samaria. Jehoahaz 
uh, his son reigned in his place. The time that Jehu reigned over Israel and Samaria was 28 years. So ends the reading of God's word. Let us pray. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, as we read this account of uh, Jehu's zeal and obeying the commission that was given to him, help us to be able to rightly think and apply that which we read to our own lives. We ask for your help in this, O Lord, our God. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. I think the main idea of this passage is that uh, having to do has to do with the work of God's vengeance upon those who hate him, or the wrath of God. The Westminster Shorter Catechism asks this question, what does every sin deserve? Every sin deserveth God's wrath and curse, both in this life and that which is to come. What we see played out in this chapter are the various acts of Jehu, where he fulfills that commission that was given to him. And I think it's important for us to understand the wickedness of Ahab and his household, so that we can rightly understand how it is that God has assigned Ahab's house to most certain punishment and judgment. You know, the Bible makes a distinction between unintentional sins and intentional sins. If you turn with me to Numbers chapter 15, Numbers chapter 15, beginning at verse 27, we read this in Numbers 15, 27. If one person sins unintentionally, he shall offer a female goat a year old for a sin offering. And the priest shall make atonement before the Lord for the person who makes a mistake when he sins unintentionally. When he sins unintentionally to make atonement for him, and he shall be forgiven. Verse 29. And you shall have one law for him who does anything unintentionally and for him who is a native among the people of Israel, for the stranger who sojourns among them. But the person who does anything with a high hand, whether he is a native or a sojourner, reviles the Lord. And that person shall be cut off from among his people." Because he has despised the word of the Lord and has broken his commandment, that person shall be utterly cut off. His iniquity shall be on him. One of the things that we learn about God is that God, and this is what we as believers take great comfort in, God is a faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love. But the same God who is faithful and keeps covenant and in steadfast love says this, I will repay to their face those who hate him. 
By destroying them, he will be slack with no one who hates him to his face. Deuteronomy 7, 9 and 10. If there is one thing that you can say about Ahab and his sons who followed him, it is that they despised the word of the Lord and they despised the prophets of the Lord. They paid no heed to it. And the reason that that is so evident is that Ahab and his sons, uh, Ahab primarily introduced Baal worship into the northern kingdom of Israel. And Ahab, you remember, married a, a godless woman by the name of Jezebel. And it was Jezebel that, who helped Ahab murder Naboth in order that he could have his vineyard. And as a result of that theft and that murder, the prophet Elijah had said to Ahab, I will bring disaster upon you. I will utterly burn you up and cut off from Ahab every male in Israel. God had raised up Jehu for this very purpose, that he would cut off from Ahab every male. And so we read in chapter 9 of 2 Kings, the, com the commission that was given to Jehu was this, You shall strike down the house of Ahab your master, so that I may avenge on Jezebel the blood of my servants, the prophets, and the blood of all of the, the servants of the Lord. For the whole house of Ahab shall perish. I will cut off from Ahab every male bond and free in Israel. And two weeks ago, we saw that Jehu killed King Joram in chapter 9, verse 24. And then we saw that Jehu killed King Ahaziah, the king of Judah, who was related to the house of Ahab. And then we saw that Jehu killed Ahab's wife, Jezebel, in chapter 9, verse 32. And so chapters 9 and 10 of 2 Kings are some of the bloodiest verses in all the Bible. It's an interesting thing that God says through the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah 49.10, Cursed is he who does the work of the Lord with slackness. Cursed is he who keeps back his sword from bloodshed. Jehu took those words seriously, and he took his commission seriously, and he showed great zeal in fulfilling the work of judgment that God gave him to do. So tonight, I'd like for us to consider this chapter under three headings. First, Jehu's work, secondly, Jehu's commendation, and thirdly, Jehu's character. Jehu's work is given to us in chapter 10, uh, verses 1 through 28. And his work includes both the slaying of Ahab's sons who are under the care of guardians, it also includes the supporters of Ahab in the northern capital city of Jezreel, where we left Jahab, 
uh, uh, Jehu last, last week, last time we met, where he had just put to death Jezebel. So all of the supporters of Ahab in Jezreel were put to death. And it also includes Jehu's putting to death the supporters of Ahab and relatives of Ahab in Samaria, which was the capital of the northern kingdom of Israel. So we have two places, two geographical places here that are being spoken of. Jezreel, slightly north of Samaria, and then Samaria. Jehu, when we, this account begins, is in Jezreel, in the city to the north. And uh, we see, first of all, that uh, Jehu uh, uh, invites, by sending a letter, he invites the, uh, the guardians and the leaders of the city of Samaria to, uh, to uh, fight him, to enter into a battle, to stand up and to fight for the throne of Ahab. And uh, they, uh, these leaders uh, refuse to do this. They refuse to engage in spite of their advantages. They have fortified cities. They have weapons. They have uh, chariots. They have horses. They have all of the advantages. And yet, these are men who are not willing to fight on behalf of their master. And so, Jehu sends a, another letter. And he sends that second letter saying, all right, if you do not want to fight, then uh, come to me and bring the heads of, uh, he, he says, if you are on my side, take the heads of your master's sons and come to me at Jezreel tomorrow at this time. Verse uh, 6. Now, the phrase take the heads uh, does not have to be interpreted as a command for them to take their heads off. It could be that to take the leaders and bring them and come to me at Jezreel. Bring these uh, with you and appear before me at Jezreel and surrender. That could be what uh, uh, Jehu is uh, commanding. But the, uh, the king's, uh, uh, Ahab's son's guardians and the leaders of the city decide that they will take another tack. And uh, what they do is uh, recorded in almost uh, an unbelievable uh, way. Uh, as soon as the letter came to them, verse 7, notice the language, as soon as the letter came to them. They wasted no time. They took the king's sons, slaughtered them, 70 persons, and put their heads in baskets and sent them to Jehu at Jezreel. took the heads, put them in two baskets, and sent them to Jehu in Jezreel. And uh, so these baskets of heads appear at the gate, which is the place of judgment of the cities. And so uh, these men uh, completely give themselves over in submission to, uh, to Jehu, but they do it in such a way that they reveal that they have no character, no loyalty, and they, are, uh, they have one thing in mind, the preservation of their own safety. And uh, they have no mercy. They execute 
Ahab's sons. And so Jehu himself is spared from having to do that himself, and it is done for him by the men who are entrusted with the care of Ahab's sons and grandsons. And so uh, the Lord uh, then through these very men and through their cowardice, through their wickedness, uh, the Lord brought about the fulfillment of the word of God. And we read that uh, as uh, Jehu comes out in the morning, he finds these baskets. And uh, he says, uh, after he's been told about them, he he says in the morning, verse 9, Then in the morning when he went out, he stood and said to all the people, "They, You are innocent. It was I who conspired against my master and killed him, but who struck down all these? Then verse 10, know then that there shall fall, they shall fall to the earth, nothing of the word of the Lord, which the Lord spoke concerning the house of Ahab. For the Lord has done what he said by his servant, Elijah. And then it says in verse 11, so Jehu struck down all who remained, of the house of Ahab in Jezreel, all his great men, his close friends, and his priests, until he left none remaining. So Matthew Henry makes his comment, even that which men do from bad principles, God serves his own purposes and glorifies his own name. God is righteous in that wherein men are unrighteous. Even men who operate from selfish means, God used these men, these guardians of Ahab's sons and grandsons, to bring about the punishment that he had foreordained upon them. And so then Ahab's sons are killed by those who should have been watching out for him. And so Jehu fulfills this word that was given to him to cut off of the, uh, to cut off the sons of Israel. And that word cut is a, is a covenantal word, and it means that though we are made to have communion with God, though we are made to be in fellowship with God, to be cut off is to be put to death judicially, and it is to be separated from every blessing. It is to be separated from God. And it includes a separation not only in this life, but in the life to come. And so we see that Jehu fulfills this commission. But it ought to make us pause, and it ought to make us think that God is a righteous God. We ought to ask ourselves the question, Are we those who despise the word of God? Are we those who live in sin and sin with a high hand? Have we made ourselves an enemy of God? One thing that we can learn from this is that there is no hiding. There is no uh, uh, escape. That the sword of the Lord is inerrant in finding the one who opposes him. Jehu is used as the instrument of God to do that. But we see as well, 
Not only does Jehu do this in Jezreel, he does it also in Samaria. And we have this summarized in verse 17. When he came to Samaria, he struck down all who remained to Ahab in Samaria till he wiped them all out according to the word of the Lord that he spoke to Elijah. And so Jehu is fulfilling and acting in obedience to the word of the Lord. But we notice as well that Jehu goes on, a part of his work is to destroy Baal worship in the northern kingdom of Israel. We see that also in verses 18 through 28. And then, uh, so what takes place is that Jehu um, calls all of the prophets of Baal and all his worshipers to come. And he says in verse 18, Ahab served Baal a little, but Jehu will serve him much. And he, he announces a great service of sacrifice to Baal. But it is, we are also told that in, in verse uh, 19 that Jehu did this with cunning in order to destroy the worshipers of Baal. Jehu acted deceitfully, cunningly. Matthew Henry comments on Jehu's deceit in this way. He says, it cannot be justified. The truth of God needs not any man's lie. It's interesting that uh, I, I, I agree with Matthew Henry. I mean, I, I think he's right. The truth of God needs not any man's lie. And yet, the text itself, at the end we will see that God commends Jehu for doing everything that was in his heart. And so anyway, we see that Jehu, in the process of calling together this assembly to worship Baal, took care to make sure that every worshiper of Baal had vestments so that they would be visibly distinguishable from others. He, he gave them vestments. Verse 24, um, it seems to imply that Jehu uh, led in the service of worship to Baal. And, uh, but verse 25 tells us that as, uh, as uh, the order came, as the people, as the servants of Baal and the priests and the prophets of Baal were all there, Jehu stationed 80 men outside and he said, the man who allows anyone to escape shall forfeit his life. So as soon as he had made an end of offering the burnt offering, Jehu said to the guard and to the officers, go in and strike them down and let not a man escape. So they put them to the sword. The guard and the officers cast them out. And they went into the inner room of the house of Baal. And they brought out the pillar that was in the house of Baal. And they burned it and they demolished the pillar of Baal and demolished the house of Baal. And they made it into a sewer. They made it into a latrine to this very day. And thus, verse 28 uh, summarizes what Jehu did to Baal worship in the northern kingdom of Israel. He wiped it out from the northern kingdom of uh, Israel. And so uh, God brought vengeance upon Ahab for his idolatry. The vengeance of God is brought upon those who sin with a high hand, those who sin knowingly despising the word of God. 
God has a sword, and it is to be bathed in blood against the people who are cursed by him. In Isaiah chapter 34, we find this kind of language. In Isaiah 34, we read this language. The Lord has a sword. It is sated with blood. It is gorged with fat, with the blood of lambs and goats, with the fat of the kidneys of rams. And all of this is described as a judgment to be brought upon the nations. But what is interesting here is that this judgment that is to be brought upon the nations is now brought upon God's own covenant people, the northern kingdom of Israel. The Lord has a day of vengeance, a year of recompense for the cause of Zion. And the Lord brings judgment. He brings his sword to bear upon the kingdom of Ahab. It is the sword of divine justice. It reminds us that there is a day coming, a day of judgment. And uh, on that great day, the sheep will be separated from the goats, the wicked from the righteous. And God will bring judgment against all who oppose him and oppose his Messiah. That sword... That sword of justice is a sword that ought to be aimed at our hearts too. For we also have broken God's commandments. We also deserve divine punishment. But the wonderful good news of the gospel is that God sent forth his own Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, And he took upon himself our flesh that he might suffer the death that his people deserve. He was made the propitiation that by his blood, God's wrath is satisfied. By his blood, those who trust in him receive eternal life. We also deserve the punishment of the sword of the Lord. But the good news of the gospel is that God has put, has presented his own son as a sacrifice for sin. Isaiah 53, it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. And when you, when you make his soul an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring and he shall prolong his days by his knowledge, the righteous one, My servant will make many to be accounted righteous, for he shall bear their iniquities. On the cross, that sword of divine justice that came upon Ahab's house, came upon the Lord Jesus Christ, he, the substitute for sinners, bore our sins. How then do we escape the wrath of God? How can we, who are sinners, escape that judgment that we deserve? What does every sin deserve? Every sin deserves God's wrath and curse, both in this life and that which is to come. What does God require of us that we may escape 
the wrath and curse of God, the Shorter Catechism asks. To escape the wrath and curse of God due to sin, due to us for sin, God requires of us faith in Jesus Christ, repentance unto life, with a diligent use of all the outward means whereby Christ communicates to us the benefits of redemption. What is faith? Faith in Jesus Christ is a saving grace whereby we receive and rest upon him alone for salvation as he is offered to us in the gospel. That's the gospel good news to those of us who know ourselves to have broken God's commandments, to be guilty, to be deserving of death, to be deserving of God's just punishment. The good news is that God has presented Christ as a propitiation for our sins, and we may trust in him, and we may know that the one way for us to escape the judgment that we deserve is to hide ourselves and flee to Jesus Christ and rest in him alone. Oh, how I plead with you to know the good news that is offered to you in Christ, and even this night find refuge in the Lord Jesus Seeing all of the blood that flows in this chapter reminds us of this great fact of our sin and of this great need that we have of salvation and of redemption that our sins might be dealt with by way of mercy, that God would deal with us not in wrath, but in his just mercy, which is offered to us in Christ. Well, I want to look secondly at the commendation that is given concerning uh, uh, Je uh, Jehu. We notice that even though Jehu, Jehu's work is a bloody work, that he, he carries out the work that God had given him. And so um, it says in verse 28, Thus Jehu wiped out Baal uh, from Israel, but verse 29, um, verse 29 says that Jehu did not turn aside from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he made Israel to sin. That is the golden calves that were in Bethel and in Dan. And yet, in spite of that fact, we read this. And the Lord said to Jehu, because you have done well in carrying out what is right in my eyes and have, have done to the house of Ahab according to all that was in my heart, your sons of the fourth generation shall sit on the throne of Israel. But Jehu was not careful to walk in the law of the Lord. What I want us to note here is the commendation. It's a, it's a qualified commendation, but it is a commendation. And that is Jehu had done well in what he did. He was obedient to the word of God to him in as far as he took it. And because he was obedient to that word, God said to him, well done. His motives may have been mixed. He may have used deceit. And yet he did that which the Lord declares to be what was in his heart. And that that was in his heart was to bring about judgment upon Ahab's house. So God rewarded him. 
by giving him sons to the fourth generation. So I want us to note this commendation that God commends Jehu for his obedience. Matthew Henry makes a remark, God always rewards his people for what those righteous things that they do. And in this case, God rewarded Jehu for his righteousness in carrying out this work of judgment. But I want us to note, thirdly, Jehu's carelessness. Jehu's carelessness. Verse 29, we see that. We noted it already, that he did not turn aside from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he made Israel to sin. That is, the golden calves that were in Bethel and Dan. And then also, in verse 31, And Jehu was not careful to walk in the law of the Lord, the God of Israel, with all his heart. He did not turn aside from the sins of Jeroboam, which he made him to sin. And so this is instructive for us in this way. Jehu had a mind to punish that which was in his mind a gross violation of Israel's charter and the law of God, which was Baal worship. Jehu had no difficulty identifying Baal worship and Baal worshipers and punishing them according to God's law. But here's the thing with Jehu. He, 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 he was minded to punish that which was evil, but not, he did not have a mind to practice that which was good. And does that not speak to us about our own tendencies? It is so much more easily to, for, it comes much more easily to us to see that which is wrong and needs to be punished than it is for us to walk in the ways of the Lord and to observe obediently his commandments. And so Jehu showed, while on the one hand, a great zeal in the cause of punishment, in the cause of piety, in observing those ways of walking, and we'll pile in our own time, prayer, Bible reading, meditation, worship, growing in Christ, growing in the knowledge of God. Those kinds of things, ah, that didn't matter to Jehu. He hated unrighteousness, unrighteous Baal worship. It stands out like a sore thumb. But the act of following after the Lord, of pursuing the Lord in the means of grace, prayer, Bible reading, worship, public worship, attending to those things that God has given, those things he did not care about. Matthew Henry says the worship of calves was a great evil. But here's, here's the great comment that he makes here. True conversion is not only conversion from gross sin, but from all sin. And so it has to be that we turn away from certain things. And what Jehu didn't do is he didn't turn away from the sins of Jeroboam. And why didn't he? Well, that, that's not too hard to understand. The sins of Jeroboam and the gold and the calves and Dan and Bethel, they were a part of the state religion of the northern kingdom of Israel because 
They saw them as kings as essential to Israel's existence. Why? If those calves were not there, in their minds, they were thinking, then the northern people of Israel, where would they go to worship? They would go to Jerusalem. They would go to the temple in Jerusalem. Well, that would mean the utter, that, that would mean that the people's loyalty would be to Judah. And so for them, they needed to keep those golden calves. So Jeroboam uh, created these for that reason. And uh, Jehu followed, uh, followed Jeroboam in that sin for the very same reason of political policy and holding on to power. He did not obey the Lord in that respect. He did not turn away from all sin. And it is a challenge for us. Isn't it so much easier for us to note the big sins and then to hold on to those things that are kind of necessary for what we think is our very existence. We kind, of, we, 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 we kind of have in our minds certain things that are necessary for us, and we may, it may sit a little uneasy with our conscience at, at times, but for the most part, we silence our conscience. And that's what Jeroboam did. He silenced his conscience on this, and he refused to turn away from this sin. But as Matthew Henry comments, if you are born of God, if you belong to God, if you are one of his children, you will want to fight against and turn away from not just the big sins, not the things that are really noticeable, that other people notice, but you will want to turn away from all sin, and you will want to walk in the way of the commandments of God. And so we see in this passage, a bloody passage, we see much judgment. But we recognize as well this distinction between intentional sins and unintentional sins. For intentional sins, sins with a high hand, the epistle to Hebrews says, what is left if you've trodden underfoot the Son of God? There is no more sacrifice for sin. It is to sin with the highest hand. To trot, to trot underfoot the offer of the gospel, to ignore the offer of the gospel, to ignore Jesus Christ as he is offered to you in the gospel. That is the highest sin. May it not be, may it never be, that any of us would become cold and hardened to such a degree that we would be guilty of this kind of high-handed, despising, of the very Son of God who was given to us and shed his blood on the cross for our sins. May we turn in faith away from all known sin and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, repenting of our sins, trusting in him alone for our salvation. Let us pray. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, we are reminded of your justice, of your righteousness. We are sobered by that fact. Help us, O Lord, this night to flee to the one who has been given to us to be our Savior. May we rest in him. May we know him who is life eternal. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Not sure I brought a bulletin with me. What is the number of the hymn that we're going to? 298? 198. 198. Thank you, Mike. 198. Let's stand together and sing. Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Amen.